Today on Talk About That, John has an allergic reaction forcing me to try and remember the words to our own songs. Then I perform at a Southern Gospel Festival in Missouri and can't stop crying at a show in Canada. Plus a conversation about America's founders and servant leadership. Today's episode is not sponsored by The Beach. All the fun of the lake, plus shark attacks. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Let's go. It's another episode of Talk About That. We're entering the outskirts of Bantertown. I'm John. This is Johnny. That sign up ahead, <laughs> Bantertown. And you can see it now because you got your glasses. Yeah. I saw in your photo when you guys were at Hamilton, because I saw Laura posted a photo, and you were wearing your glasses. And I said to Curry, he's farsighted, though. Does he need them to see? You can see far away. You can't see near, right? Oh, it was before the show. I was reading the playbill. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But so you took them off when the show started. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, would the far away be blurry? You know, I'm noticing. I'm a little worried about it. I'm noticing I can see far away in them pretty well now too, and I'm also noticing how blurry everything is when I don't wear them. I'm. I, this is why I didn't want to do this. I the, think the glasses have made my eyes more blurry. Now so you know I you hear, need them. It's so like you know I'm hear, addicted. So you know you hear these legends, and I, I have not vetted this story. So this is one of those like I'm going to say it, and then somebody's going to Google it and say I'm wrong. But I heard this story a long time ago that there was a boy who lived in England. And he was a huge fan of Buddy Holly. And so he started wearing glasses that he bought at the drugstore mm-hmm. to look like Buddy Holly. The little like, look like Harry Potter. Yeah. The round, to- perfectly round specs. And he wore them so much that it wore his eyes out and he needed glasses the rest of his life. And that was John Lennon. Oh, wow. So John Lennon did not have bad eyes, but he loved Buddy Holly. Come on, guys. So that'll <laughs> preach, even if it ends up being historically yeah. incorrect. <laughs> I really like, don't let that get in the, good, the way of a good sermon. I know. I just really think I, I don't know. Like I notice how much more. I, it's not that I have to have them to read things. It's that it's just preferable. Yeah. So now it's preferable. But like I can see you fine from where because you're not like normal. John. I'm not here. Um, we're doing this remote. <laughs> <laughs> I did that line. I did that. Uh, Line, it kind of you gave me the idea because you talked about going for your eye test, and they say, you know, can you read the first two lines? And you say, I can read that third line, and I said, there is no third line. And I was like, I'm in trouble. So I talk about that about going to the eye test and being cocky or whatever. I talked about that in my shows. You used week. it as a bit. I used it as a bit. I mean, it was your story, but I, you, I made it funny. You. <laughs> See what I'm saying? You like did, you didn't say there is no third line. No, I didn't say that at all. But I'm saying like. But what does a man get? in his life for the setup. But he may not have the punchline. What about this? I'll let you keep doing podcasts with me. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Uh, The reward, John, is that justice has been done. Yes. That I made it through another hour of comedy without anyone getting up, you know, pitchforks and torches. Which I think we have to talk, if you're comfortable, 
about your show in Missouri because apparently you just you just murdered it, which I knew you would, but it was a different it was a different audience than you normally are performing to. Yeah, this guy who's a promoter had seen me do a youth event, which I don't really do as many of those anymore either, but I did a youth event uh like middle of the pandemic, basically one of the first big events I did. And that's what was, you said. We're like, "Hey, gang, yeah, I was come like, on, hey, young people, let's dig in, young folks." Yeah, I want to get down on your level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to come down on you. You're out there doing boom and pow and zap. I don't know what drugs the kids are doing. Uh, no, so I talked about. So I did this event, right? So, and it went well, and it was like a thousand teenagers and, and youth leaders, and this guy was there. Uh, because it was for uh, Free Will Baptist. That was the denomination. Yeah. And um, I had just done uh, Automaton Baptist, which are an AI. They're, uh, they're robotic. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, let's do Free Will next. <laughs> I don't like this feeling of pre-programmed Baptists. <laughs> That's, good. That's good. But anyway, so I did the Free Will. And they were really sweet people. But... And anytime I do a youth event and I do well, I'm like, whew, I just have this like feeling of like, all right, I'm not old yet. I'm not old, so old that they're like, who is this guy? Right. It's like when Josh McDowell used to come out at the Petra concerts and he's wearing his Tommy Hill figure uh-huh. and his hair is so white that it's like, all right, dude. Yeah. And you just go, oh. and there was like, a, there was a time when Josh McDowell could do it. It's and like there, he's wearing Thomas Hill figure. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, Sir Thomas Hill figure. Yeah. It just got to a point where you go, okay, dude. And that's fine. Everybody ages out of their whatever. And then the new guy comes along. That's the new young hip guy. And that'll happen to me. But I always breathe a sigh of relief when it hasn't happened yet. So all that said, this promoter saw me and he booked me. He goes, this guy be perfect for this event that I do every year in Lebanon, Missouri. So he books me. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it was just going to be a freestanding concert. Did they call it Lebanon, by the way? Lebanon. Yes, that's how they pronounce it. Just like in Tennessee. Just like in Tennessee. Lebanon. And so... I look at the poster like two weeks before, three weeks before, and it is a Southern Gospel get-together is what it's called. Literally called a get-together. Okay. And it is um, all these huge names in Southern Gospel. Um, and I don't know a lot of them, but I know enough of them because my mom used to be a big uh, right. Gaither homecoming. Yeah. She had all the Gaither homecoming VHSs, and those played on a loop in my home. Yeah. So some of those people were there. And so I was like, okay. And I knew it was going to be a little older audience. Because that's the state, that's how it works in Southern Gospel world. By a loop in your home, you meant that she would flip the cassette a lot. She, yeah, she right. just she just flip it. <laughs> but she just put in what you know, volume two, volume three, volume four. You yeah. could watch Bill oh, Gaither yeah. age, you know, slowly, <laughs> uh, and then get some work done and be pulled back, and then you okay, now he's gonna no. But I don't know if Bill Gaither's had work done. I apologize, sorry, Bill. to anybody who's a Bill Gaither fan. But so I was kind of. Pensive, but I go, oh, sure, this will, whatever, it's work, and I go, and so, sure enough, I show up, and it's this beautiful theater in a, kind of a nowhere town in Missouri, and um, although some would say Lebanon, Tennessee is a nowhere town, too, so, and I live there, so that's yeah. fine, but it was uh, a big theater, and uh, probably 500-seat theater, rather, and so we go in, and then people start filing in, and it's a lot of older people, and I could tell, like, all right, this will be interesting, mm-hmm. then I was middle, so the first guy goes out, and he's kind of like, his name is Joseph Habedank. He's like the young gun Southern Gospel guy, but he's not really Southern Gospel. Like, I even told him that after. He was such a cool guy. Yeah. And But he's more like Clay Cross would have been in the 90s. Like, Southern Gospel now, the has new- some pop elements. Yeah, the new guys yeah. are like, yeah, it feels more it's like, like country. Christian contemporary. Yeah, right. country it, feels more like- brought in pop now. Yeah, right. old. Probably, they probably have these- 
these tribes, mm-hmm. competing tribes between the new Southern gospel. Yeah, it's more like old. what you would call inspirational music in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was sounded like Russ Taff a little bit. Like he was he was a really strong. Yeah, which voice. Russ Taff started off. Right, exactly. Like Same thing. In the Imperials. Into, right. Yeah. So all that said, he was fantastic. And uh so he did like thirty minutes, a few songs, and then I come out and they just do whatever you want to do. And I, they so I did like an hour. Wow. And uh, they were so great. Like it was one of those shows where I didn't set up any audio recording or video recording because I was like I didn't know how well it was going to go. Yeah. And you just go, I don't know if I want record of this ever happening. <laughs> right. And then, of course, it was like I could have sold that to XM radio. It was such yeah, a great show. It, yeah. yeah. So that was fun. And it just kind of shows you you can't ever tell what's going to be a great show and what's going to be just a you made it through. That's awesome. And I, I knew when you told me, you know, I knew you were a little nervous. I knew you'd kill there. We I mean, just don't know with older people. Like I love older people, but you just never know what they're – um, push buttons are, you know, you never know what the thing of, they go, well, that's too far. We wouldn't have told that joke in my day, especially some of these comics who do these Southern gospel events. They're kind of very traditional or they're a little bit old fashioned. Yeah. And sometimes they're a little corny. I don't want to be rude, but sometimes they're a little corny and I've got more of like a club rhythm and I try to like, sometimes there's some shocked laughter in my show. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to be like over the line for these people. Sure. And it just was great. So I was really surprised and and pleasantly delighted that uh, it went so well. Well, and if you get to the like, then there's there's like a push button old audience, and then you get like even an older audience. It's like a pull start. I mean, like that's true. That is gotta the really, old days. Got to crank it a few times. Yeah. Choke it. Well, no, don't go choke it. Don't choke. Don't choke old people. You guys know about choking engines? Is that like something choking? Do small I know? Engines? I don't yeah. know. Uh, there's like the little lever down there. Yeah, so it's called a choke. Yeah, and it, it, it. I just know like there's a picture of a turtle and a picture of a rabbit. No, no, that's your throttle. Oh, okay. So your 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 choke button. This is a key for getting. Weird. I know the little push bubble that you. Try yeah, that's to push. your primer. So okay. You're, you're 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 putting gas into the carburetor when you do that, and then when you choke it, what you're doing. I just is, pay Seth every week you're John, actually, you're to actually, do my yard. You're actually cutting off the flow between the carburetor and the rest of the engine, and so that it can. It can ignite inside of there. So you can't run an engine on choke, but it helps it to start so it doesn't get flooded with all kinds of fuel. Wow, so, won't that? I don't think that'll preach. You anyway. can't. But that's a, that's, sorry, that's a lifetime, lifetime professional weed eater thing. But yeah, choking an engine is the key to starting it in a small engine. So that's why the whole pull start anyway. Sorry, You guys. can't choke an engine. And if you really, my dad would teach me, when you choke it and if you get it going and it doesn't want to go, then you hold the throttle full and now you use the choke as the throttle. Zoom, zoom, you do in the back and it helps the engine kind of clear out and stuff. So, huh. yeah, I can get usually a small engine started. You, but, uh, well, that's very manly. Like uh, that stuff, I just don't, that well, doesn't do it for me. Well, that's just experiences I had to have. I um, love being able to pay a person to come cut my grass. <laughs> There will be a day when I won't be able to afford it, maybe, and I'll just be like, i got to get it back into this small engine stuff, but I just don't. Man. Don't Some know. people love being on their mower. They just, like, that's their deal. I don't like it. right. Like, right now, normally by August in Tennessee in the last few years, all of our yards are dead. Yeah. And we are having, like, like my yard is a lush jungle that needs to be mowed, like, it needs to be mowed in less than a week from when mm-hmm. I mowed it last time. And I don't like that because it's 102, like, heat index. So, But I do enjoy, and I don't have the, right now I'm struggling to find the time to do it. I was traveling last week and everything, or week before last, and I'm just, so I'm trying. But And I don't know if we talked about this or not. Did we talk about this in the last podcast? Your travel? That the whole time in traveling, I've had walking pneumonia. No. I have walking pneumonia at yeah. the time of this recording. Uh, yeah. 
So I had that little nagging cough for about a month, that bronchitis, you know. So it's pneumonia, but it's pneumonia that you're fighting. You will not lay down and rest and get better. That's why it's called walking pneumonia. It's like, John, what you have is (laughs) a problem. You won't stop walking while we diagnose you. (laughs) Stop pacing. I did. You're in a lot of trouble. I think it was the first time I've stood for an x-ray. Like I, oh, they you, did that. You, you, yeah, it was a chest X-ray. You, know, you put your chest like up against this thing while you stand. You know, um, well, they they didn't call it walking pneumonia. They just called it pneumonia. Yeah, you're just saying it. I'm saying it because I'm still walking. So yeah. I'm assuming that's what it is. I mean, I'm making. I'm not a doctor, Johnny. I don't know if you know no. this. I dropped out of medical school like before I started year one. But you've had this. You've had this nagging cough for like a month. Over a month, probably now. Yeah. Two rounds of steroids. But have and you antibody. felt bad in any other way? Um, no, no, I felt you had the original sinus infection that you right. thought bronchitis or whatever. Yeah, I was totally kind of like, cleared that up, but the cough remained the cough and you've spoken, you've done things and then you get that little tickle. Dude, but I you played, said during when you speak, it doesn't come right. Cause not as much like the, adre- the adrenaline of the moment. I've had that happen. I've had that happen for sure. Where you have like a thing, you're like, uh-huh. this is going to ruin the show. Yeah. And then you start the show and, and then it. It, you, for whatever reason you, it doesn't happen. I don't I've know if it's God laryn- or what happens. Yeah. I've had almost laryngitis many times or coughing my way through yeah. uh, a worship practice. And when we finally get to it, mm-hmm. some, for some reason I can do it. Maybe it's, I don't know. And, and I even notice like I sing differently in a microphone and it's not good either way, but I'm just saying like, I notice that I push in a different way with a microphone. It's like a, it's, it's a habit. Yeah. So I almost like I don't push full in a practice. But once that's on, everything's up where it should be. But once it's showtime, once those lights go up, baby. Oh, uh, I don't know what it is. Listen, I, I give you Monday through Saturday for free. When the, I, you pay me from Monday through Saturday, I give you Sunday for. I don't know. I don't know. That's what Ray Lewis said. I don't know. But it, it, it's a it's a the the pneumonia. Like I spoke, I went to the festival in yeah. Buffalo, mm-hmm. coughing, and Reggie be like, he was worried I couldn't speak. Yeah, because I was coughing so much in the car. Reggie's like, stuff. don't blow this for me. He was like, this is a big deal, John. Uh, he didn't say that, but he was like, dude, are you, bro, are you going to be able, I was like, yeah. And then we went and played, we played 27 holes of golf in two days yeah. in between all With the stuff. With pneumonia. Yeah. I had pneumonia the whole time. Then came home for a day, worked for a day, got back on a plane, went to Virginia, sat in the airport and wrote for 10 hours while I waited for Reggie's delayed flight to, to land, picked him up, drove an hour into Colonial Williamsburg, did that event. Yeah. Came home. I don't think I, I did not speak that Sunday, but. Ever since. So, but they had told me if it keeps going, come, they wanted to double check. But with the morning I went in, I, I wasn't hardly coughing. I woke up and was like, well, I've made the turn. Yeah. I'm good. Turn the corner, whatever. And so I uh, go in and they, and I kind of felt silly. Almost like I, you ever like had a symptom that, that goes away whenever you're with the doctor? And yeah. So you kind of want to produce it so they can hear it because you feel silly now, you know? Yeah. So, so doctor walked in like, <laughs> you know, like I'm kind of because I'm like I feel like I need to cough because that's what you're checking, and I want you to be able to hear what the cough sounds like. So she listens. She's like, you know, she was like, stop being so dramatic. Yeah, hey, you have hypochondria. That's what. you have. <laughs> So then she's like, well, then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna X-ray you. So sure enough, so I kind of felt relieved. They're like, well, so you what have is pneumonia. what is pneumonia? You hear that thrown out? What is pneumonia it's versus an, it's a- an infection in your lungs? Okay. So instead of like just your bronchial tubes, it's like in your lungs. Yeah. So it's in my upper left lung. <sighs> Which Laura said's better than the lower left. Um, yeah, like I guess it hasn't sunk all the way to the bottom. Well, no, that's what they know. said about this. Uh, and this is what I heard from another doctor who, when I finally got COVID, I was immediately like freaked out because I have asthma, and I was like, "Do I need to go on the Paxlovid and all that?" And he was like, "I don't think so." He goes, "You're probably going to be fine." He goes, "This variant stays in the upper respiratory, 
Interesting. It doesn't go deep as the earlier. So that's why a lot of people were dying in the earlier with the yeah. earlier variants is what he said is because it goes deep into your lower lungs. Yeah. And it's so hard to clear those infections up, evidently. So yeah. that's why there was such a higher death rate, evidently. That's what he says. Yeah. Well, I'm not don't a scientist. Know. But anyway, uh, so yeah, you're right. Lower would be bad. Yeah. It's evidently harder to clear it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, but they put me on two antibiotics. So now. we're playing golf today, right? Is what you're saying? I could do it. I feel fine. Let's go. Um, and I'm I'm on two antibiotics now, and they're serious about it. like I'm taking mm-hmm. like it. They they want to knock this out. So <sighs> one's a seven day, one's a five day. John, be careful out time, there. So, but you're right about like being able to push through. I remember I did a show in Canada one time, and I was already nervous. I was filling in for another comedian. I get a call like two days before. Maybe it was the day before. I'm working on my hardwood floors, and I get a call, and it's Michael Junior's agent. And she says, uh, so now, you, could you be in Michigan or something? Wasn't it like it was Canada. Okay, it was like the next day. Yeah. The she day. goes, can you go to Canada tomorrow? Yeah, I remember that. And of course I was like, I was off that week and I was like, yeah, I'm actually off. And they yeah. said, can you, uh, we'll buy your flight, blah, blah, blah. Is this your old house? Yes. I was helping you with the hardwood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then, um, we had just finished up. I was putting like the base mm-hmm. boards back. And so I said, sure. You know? And then they said, we'll give you the fee and the we'll pay for your flights. And of course, flights are going to be a billion dollars because it's the day before you fly to Canada. So I go price flights. And then I think Michael had called me too and said, Hey, I'm going to give them your name. Is that okay? Yeah. And so she calls me to set it up. And then I just told him, she goes, well, what do you, what do you need? And I said, I'll just do it for Michael. I said, because I think it was something like medical emergency in his family. That's why he couldn't do the show. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just do it. Just pay for my travel. She goes, no, no. And I said, no, that's what I'll do. And so I did. And so I go, but I'm already like nervous because they've been doing ticket. Uh, it's a ticketed show For with his Jr. name on it. Yeah. And he's been doing radio ads and they've been blasting ads through their church services and all throughout the community. Oh, wow. That's Michael Jr.'s show. And so here comes random middle-aged white dude to replace yeah. him. And I'm nervous. And so I had this out, al- these allergies. It might've been from the hardwood stuff, the dust and everything. Sure. And my left eye was weeping just consistently. Ugh. It was one of those where you can't get it to stop. Yeah. So it just, I was like, one eye was like, you know, red. And the other eye was just like weeping. And I was like, I can't get this to stop. And then when I went on stage, it just stopped for an hour. And then, of course, I had to go to my table. And it starts again. And then the people wanted to take me out to eat. And I feel like I have to go because I'm like, well, they brought me in. So yeah. now I have to go. And then they kept at the table that night. They were just like, are you okay? <laughs> Everything okay? I was like, this is just, I've been dealing with this allergy stuff. Like, Man, you're I okay? I was like, okay. <laughs> so I felt like that was like, that was harder than the show. Because I was still kind of on, but it was like 12 people at a table asking me if I'm dying. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but luckily the show went good though, and they didn't mind so much the bland white person you who replaced yourself, him. Did you call yourself Johnny Jr.? Just to like, Johnny Jr. Like to, yeah. 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 He sent like a, that was the thing, the intro to me was Michael on video. Oh, he's showing you, wow. He goes, uh, hey, Michael Jr. coming to you. Uh, what he said, Michael Jr. here. And he goes, that's the thing. I'm here. I'm not there. <laughs> and that's when they kind of, it kind of hit him. Oh. And I was like, they're not going to tell him until right before no I come out. No way. So that was a little bit like, I was worried. True bait and switch. You were the it switch. It was really a bait and switch. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. That's just what they had to do, I guess. I, I, was, I was hoping for longer. I think they thought people would bail on the show if he told them with two days notice or a day notice. Yeah. So he was like, we'll tell them right before. It's like a, it's like a pro wrestling thing. 
you know, the Stone Cold music plays and I come flying out and <laughs> swinging chairs at people. That's not Stone Cold. <laughs> <laughs> but we got through it even with the weepy eye. Wow. It just dried up for the wow. the jokes. Interesting. I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, I think there is for me like there's Sometimes, like an adrenaline, embarrassment adrenaline almost. Maybe, like, I have to pull it. I have to pull it together. Bethany and I will sing together, and we both like are clearing our throats the whole. I'll have to. I mean, it's gross. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll have to go back into the bathroom and like clear, like you know what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm adjust hawking, the throttle, hawking stuff up. You clear it out. Choke it. You, know, you have like, to choke it and adjust <laughs> the throttle. And but it's like because I have like again in the morning, especially with allergies. Like it's just there's a lot of stuff you know, and I'll feel it. This is gross, but like I can be singing and I can feel like the mucus in my head like drop onto the vocal cords. You can feel it break through. You can hear it, you know, in the like the voice break, you know, like here it goes. I mean, I just have a lot. That's until my allergy sprays. Is the most disgusting thing I think we've ever said on the show. Yeah, sorry guys, I fought it my whole life, coughing all night, kind of stuff. I didn't realize all those (laughs) days in college. You remember all those shows we played? Yeah, where I would be just coughing up my head. Uh, The one I remember the most is. The first time we did a show where there were fog machines. Oh, yeah. Mountain City. We go to this church in Tiny Town, Mountain oh, City, Tennessee, man. right on the North Carolina border. And uh, <laughs> this pastor machines. was so, like, amped up yeah. for us. Like, it was one of the first. Like, you go to so many shows, they go, come on in. You'll do our youth thing. Was we that Kamormi? T- yeah. yeah. This guy was, like, a hype man. Like he was no great. other. He was great. And he goes, and he had all the gear and all the lights and all the lasers and all the, and he had fog machines. And we we're like, we're going to do the show of all shows. Yeah. We'd never done a show with fog machine. Yeah. So we start our show. <laughs> you take two breaths of that fog. They put it right in front of the, of the mic. You take two breaths of the fog and you go, <gasps> gone. You could not sing. Gone. You were allergic to the fog. It did something in that chemical. It like closed my throat off. Like and, I could breathe. And I, I barely speak. knew the words to our songs. And I had to sing lead the whole night. Remember, I went outside and started just chugging water bottles. Yeah. And like, I was trying to get, and I couldn't get it to open. And I, I was like, John, that's fog juice. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> you're drinking the fog. It's down in your lower lung now. That'll never come out. <laughs> now when you cough, juice. more fog comes out. <laughs> hey, kids. It's, just like, it's like, like I'm this weird worship villain. Yeah, like, you are. Wow. But so that was a tough one. That was uh, not our best show because there was no harmonies. And I'm singing parts that I don't normally sing, so I'm trying to remember the words. No teleprompter. I bet you that was the day we discovered you should be the lead singer. Could have been. That would have been the time, like, wow, we should have. That was uh, a breakthrough. What if I planted the fog to get that little change made? (laughs) You know what this reminds me of, by the way? And this is very (laughs) random. So we used to do these videos for church. And uh, one of the last versions we did, we started doing these mock... uh, Lincoln commercials, like with oh, right. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, back when those were big, when he's and, talking to himself in the Lincoln in the mirror. Right, and we had, and we were trying to announce we were going from one service to two. Yeah, and you, we had our buddy Josh Giles was in there, uh-huh. and he could do a perfect. I mean, he was a really good actor. Yeah, really good the videos, and he's driving around in Mount Juliet at night in this car, and we got this weird music behind it, and you had written these lines. Yeah, and my favorite one, he's like, he's like, you know, they say two heads are better than one. And then he said, as I watched it the day, uh, I guess that's true. I mean, like, no, he said, it's like those two-headed dragons. And then you go, you probably remember. I don't remember. This. I don't remember, remember this. I don't remember and this it, line. It reminds me of those two-headed dragons, you know, breathing fire all over your village. You know, <laughs> he goes, I guess in that case, two heads aren't better than one. And it's coming in and out this whole time. Yeah. You know? And he's just looking at the skitty. And then he, yeah, goes, just... he goes, 
Unless you're the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like, uh, and then it went to two is better than one. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, so was, we, that was the line, one service or two services starting this day. Dude, it's I kind was of like, intense. It was one of the it's most, kind of intense way to announce you're going to two services. It was, I think at that point, you know, our congregation has changed a whole lot now. Yeah. Uh, a whole lot now. And I think this current congregation. Yeah would die laughing and they loved our funny videos but i think that's when we pushed them a little bit well, yeah and we always had to like keep t- well and they got so settled in to us topping the next thing so they would always judge it against the last thing right oh that was good it wasn't as good as last year they got right. a little snobby yeah i felt yeah and then we kind of we got so meta every video was almost referencing an old video right so you get a little you get a little bit too fat and happy and I felt like we fell into that crazy. Well, there's nothing somewhat. else we could do. You yeah. can't, you can't just. And I go so mad when a show ends, like when when they finished. Uh, this is us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to know because I haven't watched it yet. It's okay, but okay. I was just like, when I found out that this was going to be the last season. Yeah, I was like, guys, this is dumb. You've made the best show ever, right. and you can go through time. Your whole show goes back and forth through time. Go another five seasons. Keep going. I can't believe they made it five seasons. Honestly, but the deal is. For them, that's me assuming that their brilliant creativity can just be conjured up at the right. snap. You know, they they may have stumbled upon. Well, the thing that show's built on surprises, and you can't keep surprising an audience for five years. Right, it's really hard to right. keep surprising them. Absolutely, like l- delivering some layer that you didn't know. Oh, that's why that guy acts that way. Yeah, he had a childhood trauma. Like they kept doing that with that show. Yeah, and it worked every time, but until it doesn't work, and you don't want to be there when it doesn't work. That's why Seinfeld quit. He yeah. said, he said, I tricked the box into letting me be in it for nine seasons. I didn't want to be this show that went on two seasons too long. Yeah. When it's like, does he know that it's over? Can you name a show that's done that besides like the old school Happy Days? That got out when it was good? Yeah. No, one that went too far. Oh, there's a million. I mean, almost all of them go too far because we just go, even season two of things usually isn't great, especially like Netflix shows. They've kind of, the gimmick is over. You know, and they kind of like. Well, oh, we were talking, I about, get we were talking it. about Girls Five Eva at breakfast a little yeah. bit, which again, not endorsing it, a very reverent show, but yeah, the first season is hilarious, so terms, funny, and, and yeah, they try to go to second. We I didn't make it to the second. Yeah, it's a little zanier. It was just like okay, with the I know the shtick now, like yeah, I, I yeah, know yeah. the thing, you know. But, but I, you know, it's it's one of those. Okay, so we got to talk about this. Yeah, you uh-huh. saw Hamilton. I did. At TPAC, Tennessee Performing Arts Center, for the yeah, first time. Big live. anniversary. It's my anniversary. I took yeah. my wife to Hamilton. And we had almost, because I went that night. You went to the matinee show. I went that night. And we had almost the same seats where we were. So I we, was two rows in front. So yeah. whatever you want to draw whatever, from that, you're, listener. You're exactly two rows better than me. And so, you know, we were talking. So the perspectives. And I mean, just tell us. Because this is kind of going back to the snobbery, because I have some perspectives that are different than you. I know, and I don't want to get into this. People are going to drive it into guardrails, uh, be bored by this but theater talk. But I thought it was fantastic. When the when it first started, I was a little bit like, okay, is this going to be rapping the whole time? Like, I was afraid it was going to be a little corny. And then it just like, I settled in, and then it was really fantastic writing. And obviously, it was interesting trying to keep up with... Which is why I wanted you to listen yeah. to music beforehand. Yeah. As I told you, it's overwhelming. It's you yeah. can't believe the amount it's a of lot. And of course, Curry was like, "Yeah, it's easy." And I go, "Well, you watched it with captions." Yeah, you got. So she, you have she to remembered. Yeah. It. yeah. Um, so I could have used some captions a couple of times, <laughs> but uh, I thought it was fantastic and uh, brilliant. 
it was so many layers to it. It was great. And I think it's a cool way to kind of um, teach history. Yeah. You know, we just don't have that anymore. We just don't really like history was my favorite thing when I was in school. Yeah. And I used to make, I used to make a hundred every, I mean, I aced every test and I think it's because I saw it like a story. I could see, I love stories. And so I just saw the ancient Sumerians. I saw it as a story. Sure. When I thought about cuneiform, I didn't think of it as like, I got to remember how to spell that. I knew how to spell it because I'd read it in the story that I had read. Right. And I knew what about papyrus and I knew about, I loved that world history was my favorite. So I love the idea. And I think it's true because my teacher in eighth grade, my social studies teacher, he would do these things. What was it called? I cannot remember what it was called. It's like history bowl or something. And he'd make it like a game show, like once a month. Yeah. And we would like team up. And then that's how he would put the quiz questions as our questions. And, uh, and then we would buzz in and it was like a way to make it learning fun for us. Yeah, It should be fun. And he yeah. would give away prizes and blow pops and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so that's kind of the modern version of that. Like he took the language of today, uh, Miranda did and, kind of made history really cool and relevant. Um, Yeah. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there. You know, in a way, I can't believe still to this day. I I, I contend that it is, and I've I watch a lot. I didn't get a blow pop though, and that was a little bit disappointing. Well, that was yeah. yeah. There, I, I, and and this is like again a big statement. I've watched. We do the theater quite a bit. Well, <laughs> well, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, so I think that I think that. For me, it is the most well-written, brilliantly written piece of theatrical art of of our time. Um, I just think you can't you, you you can't find something that brings so many different themes into it. Like again, now you've kind of seen it. You know when he's asking Aaron Burr to help him write the Federalist Papers to defend the Constitution, and there's lines in there like, um, you know. Uh, the Constitution is a mess. You know, it's full of contradictions. And he says, so is independence. And I can't remember the line that rounds independence, sorry. But like the, the, and then again, they don't stay true to history in every way by any stretch of the imagination, but the general themes are Wait, there. Wait, there were not rap battles on the Senate floor? <laughs> I love it. It made, I mean, because who, but see, that's the thing. You couldn't have made a play where you went to the Senate floor that anyone, anyone would want to watch. Yeah. You know, you or you or those are the cabinet meetings. Wouldn't you, everybody watch C-SPAN if it was like that exactly. every day? Will you understand S- that somebody filibusting? Because the truth is, Thomas Jefferson <laughs> and, and and Alexander Hamilton were so diametrically opposed to each other that they literally both were the patrons of newspapers that were created yeah. for the purpose of writing negative press about the other ones. They are the epicenter of of the two party system in America. Right. They also represent what would be, what the Civil War would eventually be. They represent northern interests versus southern interests. Like they're so key to understand American yeah. history all the way down today to be quite honest with you with a lot of the divisions between, you know, whether it's going to be a big government, you know, versus states rights. Yeah. That's the same things we deal today it's so important to see as, as a trickle down from them. And he captured it. And the, and the other cool parts and having read the book, um, 
and I didn't realize this because it doesn't really come out unless you read the book. So if you guys have seen Hamilton, the key kind of line in the whole play is is I'm you know one of my probably the most famous song for me is I'm not throwing away my shot. Right. Okay. And so he uses that throughout, and there's a lot of callbacks, you know, a lot of of reprises and a lot of sort of medleys of the same either melodies or lines that go throughout the whole thing. And so like when his best friend, John Lawrence is going to duel, mm-hmm. um, the, the general, general Lee, uh, like he tells him, Hey, and he's his second. He says, Hey, John, don't throw away your shot. Well, it sounds like he's saying, and he is saying, Hey, don't, don't blow it. Don't die here. young right. over this. But historically that expression literally meant in a duel firing your weapon away from your opponent or into the air like shooting it over their head into the right. trees or on shooting purpose up. Right. right that sometimes they would go to duel and not shoot at each other but to preserve their honor they could say they fire their weapons so throwing away your shot is literally the bullet is your shot and i'm i am throwing it away i'm yeah. not trying to kill you with it and so when you recognize that yeah the whole play changes You're right because he was saying kill the guy right and don't get killed right and don't waste your life. Like it has it's so many layers. And at the end, well, then he tells his son to, to fire into the air. He doesn't th- say throw away your shot in that one. He says fire in the air. And his son gets killed. Right. And then he goes to the same dueling ground against Burr. Right. And he throws away his shot. He shoots into the air. You know, and then Burr not, doesn't. Right. Yeah. And whether or not, you know, so like he spent his life trying to not throw away his shot by being this immigrant who climbs the ladder and who you know, writes like he's running out of time and who develops. And quite honestly, and again, I'm not going to nerd out much longer on this, but the financial systems, when you read the book and I'm not like economics is not my uh, economic theory, those things, that's certainly not something that I'm most adept. No, I see how you dress understanding, <laughs> but I mean like the global sort of way that those things work. Uh, and investments and banking and those things. Yeah, um, Hamilton was so far advanced ahead of his time that the banking systems he and he did he did he traded New York City, which was the capital at that point. He traded to the South for them to have the capital in the South, which on the Potomac, which had become Washington D.C., for the ability to be able to craft this power. And the Treasury Department and the government was so small. I, if I'm rem- remembering correctly, like, like. The State Department that Jefferson led when he was the Secretary of State, I mean, it had like 10 employees. Hmm. Like, it wasn't a big deal. And then... It's interesting that government has stayed that lean. Oh, you know, it's, yeah. It's not it's gotten still, bloated it, at exactly, all. Exactly. still That's so small. fascinating. But Hamilton had like something like 100 employees. Like, his treasury stuff that he did was so much bigger. That's why they were trying to contain him. He was building something. But when the stock market first opened, yeah. of course, and he started the first U.S. bank and banking system to assume states' debts... When it opened, it would do the same thing that it does today. There were runs. People would speculate mm-hmm. with money they didn't have, and there would be these runs, and you'd see you'd see inflation begin to rise and get out of control, and the market would start to, to dive and all these things. And he before, like what our modern Fed, what the federal, you know, what they do today in the reserves and what they do today to regulate the markets, he already had like this almost advanced, futuristic, sentient, understanding of how to regulate those markets and he would step in and like hey we're going to close we're going to cool the market off by mm-hmm. doing this for two days he would raise the rates like he knew all the buttons to push yeah he really had more power than he probably should have had to know that but he knew it ahead of his time and it really is probably the reason that the united states is for better or for worse 
the economic superpower. I mean, there's a lot of other things, especially the world wars that bring that about. But in terms of the system, I was talking to someone this week and they were saying, look, there's two ways. And he was speaking with like a huge investment guy. And he said, look, there's, there's two ways to make money. You can work and make money. Yeah. Right. The other way is, is you can let your money work to make money. Come on now. And so like understanding, you know, Hamilton had a way that, okay, he, he even knew us being indebted to other nations. Actually, if you think about it today, one of the reasons I think there hasn't been a World War III and hopefully there won't be. It's mutual self-interest. Yeah. yeah. Is that we have borrowed so much money from you and you're making so much money off of us because you're our supplier for all the products that we have. And we have factories also. It has so many downsides. Yeah. But it also has a man, if we drop a bomb on you, we've just lost our biggest money maker right because we're making all this money and so there, there's like he understood that the that the although washington warned against entangling alliances in his farewell address but foreign alliances but he you know hamilton had sort of this advanced understanding of hey the more that we're connected to them the the more peace that can reign because we have mutual self-interest so anyway it was just it was just a, I'm we glad gotta you put got that to go. we gotta put that guy on the tan he is oh my goodness he's got there's not going to be any you know, falter all about trying to replace him is there. Cause I know what, what bill are they putting Harriet Tubman on? I'm totally in favor of, but like if Hamilton's not in any danger now because now he's this icon, right? It'll be, they may move him uh, up. Who are they replacing for Harriet Tubman? Do you know? I can't remember. Cause I know, we're I, gonna, I know Grant's on what? The, I thought it was the 20, right? Is Grant on the hundred? I thought Harriet Tubman was going on the 20. And the 20 is, um, we don't even know. It's oh been so long gosh, since we've guys. seen a twenty. I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm Hold sorry. on. I'm going to look it up. Where's Grant on the fifty? Got to do everything for you. Yeah. Who's on what bill is, or who's on what currency? Harriet Tubman. I just can't grab it right now. I'm sorry, guys. I don't mean to disappoint you. It's going to be the twenty. Who's on twenty now? Uh, are they redesigning the twenty dollar bill? Is it if it's Hamilton? I'm gonna lose my mind. No, he's the ten. Hamilton's the ten. Yeah, the ten dollar founding father who got a lot farther by being a lot smarter, <laughs> I'm working you, a lot harder. I'm telling you, we need C-SPAN would be so much better with rap battles. Yeah, and I want to go back before I said uh, filibuster and say filibuster rhymes. I wish it's one of those. I wish I could have. If I could go back and correct, <laughs> that would be your your like. That would have been your senator. A ID. great podcast moment, right? If hey I guys. said filibuster rhymes in the moment, and then you laugh hard, and then that's a clip. Uh, we and can then, never go back and do that, though. You so can we go back? Can we, listener, can we go back and pretend that I did that, guys? P- pretend that Johnny said he's filibuster rhymes, because <laughs> uh, that is that is maybe the most brilliant thing. Are you still looking over there? Yeah. Is your phone? Are you are you calling from a walkie-talkie? <laughs> like what's going on? I could have searched, Johnny. I could have written a chapter of a book that's by on. now. While you're trying to search, probably it's T-Mobile. Who is not a sponsor, t- by the way? But our T-Mobile phones. It's a Jackson. Andrew Jackson's on. Andrew the, Jackson's on the twenty. So it's part of it's because of slavery. It's a okay. So we're going to put a you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, here's the thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of one of those. Yeah, I just I love it. There should have been there should have been a, a a black American should have been on one of our bills already. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is a big thing about when we were in Virginia. We were talking about like. I told you, fifty-two percent of the population of Colonial Williamsburg was black in seventeen seventy-six. Right. You, so there's all this erasing when of you erasure of history. I don't even know if it was intentional, and that's kind of what the Colonial Williamsburg right. Foundations and the College of William and Mary and all that—they're like, well, you know, we didn't realize we were doing this. Yeah. They're trying to make it right now. But I think the big statement, and I made this statement in our in our talk that I think is so key, is like, hey, I know we celebrate Black History, yeah, but they're really 
black history is actually American history. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there's, there's a little danger. We need to do – we need to celebrate black history. But to even relegate it to a month – Yeah, compartmentalize if, it. As if black people haven't been a huge part of American history from its outset and have contributed in so many ways. Um, important things to the history. So anyway, it, it's – yeah. Well, I thought Hamilton was fantastic. Uh, it lived up to the hype. And um, – yeah, you, you cried, I, right? I, I cried okay. more than once. Yeah, uh, I cried at the end when they were talking about the orphanage and all the things that she went on, and the idea that she reconciled with him after the affair. Oh, I, I weep at the forgiveness song. Uh, so great, yeah. uh, the idea that she stayed, and then all the things that she did after his death, and that she helped tell his story. Yeah, she she found she helped find the writings, and she helped gather all this stuff. Yeah, and it's the reason we know the stories. Yeah, uh, is because of her, and so it's the idea that she helped be a you know historian in herself um that's pretty cool because there had to be some shame there for some of that you know for sure. some of this to come out so that's kind of neat but the other one the one that i've cried first was the when they're sitting in the chairs uh burr and hamilton talking to their kids dear theodosia yeah, yeah. so good yeah so that was really great yeah. um even as somebody that doesn't have children i just i thought it was just the idea of we're making this new world and i love so much i was telling curry this I love so much the idea of America and the experiment, the great experiment that is America. Yeah. I'm so passionate about it. It makes me – when I went saw the Statue of Liberty, we took the Staten Island Ferry over, and you yeah. get to go see from the waterfront, see the Statue of Liberty. It made me very emotional. The idea, I stand at the golden door. I set my lamp at the golden door. Like, it makes me – my voice tremble. Yeah. So the idea of America and what it stands for and what the experiment is – is so emotional to me. So that taps into that, mm-hmm. that they're building this thing, and they don't even know if it's going to last, right. but they're trying to hand it down to these children, and they go, we can't wait to see what you do with it. Yeah, That's pretty cool. So that got me emotional. Well, and that's such a key. I, I kind of get emotional, honestly, in when when Washington, you know, he calls Hamilton in, he tells him that Jefferson's resigned the cabinet, he's going to run for president, and Hamilton's like, you know, He'll never beat you. And he's like, hey, that's the other thing. I'm not running for president. And he tries to talk him out of it. He's like, no. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand a two-term presidency was not in the Constitution yet. Right. He could have, he could have just taken it to the – he could have been king. He was. De he, facto king. He was. And, and lots of people thought that he should because he stood – he loomed larger in the American society than anyone else even in his own time. And he knew the importance, and this is the beauty of passing things along. And so he sings this song one last time. You know, we got to teach him how to say goodbye. Yeah. It's so it, you think about all the trouble we've dealt with in the last, you know, several election cycles, even over a peaceful transfer of power, mm-hmm. over acknowledging wins and losses in mm-hmm. elections. And I'm I'm not trying to rile us up politically here. Right. But there was there's a pettiness that's entered the discourse, though. Right. I want to hold on to power. Right. And the the whole idea is to hold on to power, power at all costs when Washington right. started a precedent to say, no, the only way this is going to work is if people in power are willing to pass it along to the next people. And he passed it along to someone who was not nearly the leader as him and to John Adams. I mean, the people elected John Adams and um, he's a one term president. Yeah. And he was very underwhelming to a lot of people compared that's that's the whole king george lived in that shadow yeah king, king george, george laughing like, uh, yeah. yeah like john adams I yeah know, like that you know and, and so you know and and it's a uh, and then even jefferson when it was his turn who who he felt that the entire nation should be farmers he, he felt everyone should be an agrarian society very small government that he comes in as president and he 
up to that point in time, possibly in history, makes the largest power grab in the history of presidential politics in the Louisiana Purchase. He basically doubles the landmass or more yeah. of the United States in a felled swoop buying it. And it's so Kiba, he knew expanding he, – he used the power – when he had it in the way he thought that he should, though it was against sort of the way he had written before. Right. So we all lead differently when we get the power and you get those reins. It might, you know, your true self kind of comes out. Yeah. Or you see it differently. That's the thing, too, that I heard about. Uh, like when a president takes gets elected between that and the inauguration, they have to sit down with like the chiefs of staff and stuff mm-hmm. and be given like the black book that says, here's who has bombs against us. Here's who has right. missiles pointed at us. Here's who we have. And you learn all this stuff. And your perspective shifts yeah. a lot between that November and that January when you are inaugurated. You take the full weight of, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, It's almost like been a game up to then. Now that you're going to be president, we get to show you, here's all the problems. Yeah. And it does shift things, how well, you're going to lead. Well, yeah, you have to – and again, I love the relationship that's developed between George W. Bush and Michelle Obama. Like they're buddies. Yeah. And you, they could not be any more different in terms of their administrations mm-hmm. and what they did in their time. But there's a sense of respect of like, look, the, and, and I, I, I've said this many times. What I want, and, and I think this is so key for America, what I want from a president is I want a president who does the job. Yeah. I want you to come do the – it's a job. Um, I'm not sure it's a calling. I do mm-hmm. believe that God puts people in and all those things. But also, this is a job. And, Johnny, you have a job to do today. I have a job to do today. Right. And we're going to have to do our jobs. What I don't want is as much as possible, do your job. And even if you do it in a way, this is why American politics is, is such a brilliant experiment. Like, I might not like the way you did that job. Mm-hmm. I don't like where all we went. And guess what? In four years or eight years, I'll get a chance to make my vote on your job. And if I don't like it, the longest it can last is eight years. Yeah. And then I get to vote for someone else because you're going to go. I mean, it, it's it's but, but here's the thing. I really don't want to hear every day about you. Right. I want to I just want you to do your job. And if you're doing your job right, when I do hear about you, it should be about something that you're doing for the country because that's your job. And I feel that way about Democratic, Republican. I don't really care. I think you should run, John. Well, if I did, it'd be my job, you know, to do. And <sighs> and guys, I'm asking for your vote in 2000. I don't know. Let's set up a GoFundMe. Let's see hey, what we would could, take a GoFundMe. Let's see what we could get uh, together. Yeah, GoFund us. But I mean, I think that I think that play, man, that, again, being willing, it, it's important. It's important to talk about the experiment is based around everyone has has a chance to grasp for power mm-hmm. and influence. And I mean, even like from a scriptural standpoint, the key to like leadership, you think about what Jesus said, I, I did not come to be served, but to serve you and to lay down my life as a ransom for many. And we, we really lose that. Like, uh, the, the greatest among us are supposed to be the ones who serve. And I think, you know, I, I wrote a book for a guy named Jim Haslam, the second who, you know, he's, you know, I think he's 90, 91 now and he's the owner of pilot corporation. And he's the father to former Tennessee two-term governor, Bill Haslam. And, and Mr. Haslam, like really still believes mm-hmm. in the political system. He was deeply involved. He was Republican finance chair for Tennessee for years yeah. during Reagan and Bush administrations close to those families and, and, and a lot of Tennessee politics, more of a historical Republican um, in that respect. But the way – kind of how you get teary out over the Statue of Liberty, like he still believes 
Yeah. And he'll 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 you know help candidates uh, in terms of you know helping them make connections and other things because he believes like look everyone we should be serving you should be serving this process somehow it's worth it people people have set this up and we should all be involved civically and it really inspired me a little bit in a way because you can get so cynical against it like well, what's the point right. he's like no I mean not only should you vote that should be the minimum but you should you should campaign or you should run. Somewhere, local government, like you should be a part of this because this is this is still a beautiful experiment that's gone wrong in many ways at times, but it has a chance to be reset still. Yeah. If you get involved. If yeah. only yeah, if nobody good runs, then all we're gonna have left is the bad people that we're being cynical about. Right. That are just power grabbing. And if someone can go in and again, I'm not at all conflating the religious side of this with the political, but if if you are someone who believes that real leadership comes by serving and by laying down your life for someone, that might be a place to serve. Now, it's one of those things of like, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you know that there's this idea that if I have riches, that it will do something to me. And we're always like, yeah, but let me try it. Maybe I'll be different. Yeah. You know, there's that feeling. So right. there, there is. I'll a, hold the ring of power. It won't corrupt me. Right. Right. So you get to this place where you go, this is not. This is not the kingdom of God. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to have power, you know, and, and you're going to have alliances and coalitions. Yeah. And there's going to be lobbyists and there's going to be a whole lot of interest that, you know, when you're the one sitting in the chair, you know, and for, you got to think about this for the representatives, for the House of representatives. It's a two year term. And the way it works today, I mean, truthfully, they never stop campaigning because it takes two years to campaign. Yeah. So the moment they're in office, the first thing they have to think about is running for office still. So, like, when do you get to govern? That's yeah, kind of gross. Because did you notice when Burr ran for vice president in the play, they, they made reference to, like, oh, so you're openly campaigning. Like, that's new. Because mm-hmm. back then, presidential and vice presidential candidates did not run, did not campaign openly. Someone would campaign for you, and, oh, and you, right. you just governed. You did your job. And if the people elected you, it was, it was considered lowbrow. To yeah. go out and like promote yourself, it wasn't a part of American. Not culture anymore. Yet. It's not. Good grief. Could you imagine how refreshing for the candidate that would be? Yeah, like I didn't have be to be a great way to lose. Now though, oh, it's like yeah. the people that go, "I'm not going to go dirty. I'm not going to go negative with my ads." It's like this poor guy. Then you're not going to win. Probably. Yeah, you yeah. can't win with that negativity. Now you have to say, "I'm so much better than this guy because look what he did." I will say, uh, Governor Haslam wrote a book. Uh, and, and it's an amazing book. It's called Faithful Presence. It was mm-hmm. with Thomas Nelson. And um, and I've had a chance just to sit with him a few times. He's just been very gracious to me uh, just to, you know, speak wisdom. And he tells a story in Faithful Presence when he was governor. And they had just passed some sort of very much bipartisan legislation in Tennessee. And he was on one of the major news networks. Yeah. And they were interviewing him because it made national news. And he said, this is in the book, he said they began asking him, like, well, I mean, tell us how your political enemies, how were you able to bypass them, basically, to make this work? And he goes, well, that's that's not how this happened at all. He goes, actually, um, we're all doing this together, and we kind of came to the table, and they made some compromises, and we made some compromises, and we we found a middle ground. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, yeah, but, but tell us, like, when they were when they were fighting against you, like how did you how did you, how did you defeat them? And he was like, "Guys, we literally came together and we all gave up something, right? 
So for the, the good confirmed. of the American people. Yeah. And, and he said that they basically stopped the interview and went yeah. to something else. Because <laughs> they can't get clicks off of it. There was nothing there yeah. to like yeah. to blow up the conversation. He was right. like, uh, yeah, well, I, I compromised with the Democrats. I don't, I don't know what you want. This is how we govern yeah. for the good of the, of the Tennessee people. Like, but it's not incendiary enough, yeah. And they didn't want to do it. There was no story for them. Instead right. of the story being the compromise, uh-huh. which is what it should be, the story was the other. So I just think it's a – there is a way to bring servant leadership into those things. And I think those people exist. I think if they're out there, they're probably terrified to run right now. Yeah, maybe. Because, you know, how do you – you're going to be just – Maybe this podcast could be the thing that lights the fire, John. Maybe. That sends the next good man to Washington. Why not to be a man? See, why you already <laughs> – listen, if I was going to put someone in the office, it would be my wife. Yeah? My wife – listen, I'm telling you right now. I should run her. I don't think she could take the pay cut. If she let me be her campaign manager. No, she can't do the pay cut. <laughs> That's great. I tell her a time, like, you know, she needs to run for office. I mean, she's, she knows all the issues. I mean, she's constantly listening to podcasts and things. You're saying she has issues. Her. I get it. So I didn't say that. She, oh, she knows the she issues. Knows, she knows. <laughs> I have the issues. So. But she's brilliant, man. Well-spoken. I mean, do a great job. But uh, Laura Driver, 2028. I don't know what we're going to run for. That's a long time. Well, I need some time. You need to, yeah. We need to get our lives in order first before we do this. Before so. you take the onslaught of so. the inevitable. See, 2028. Firestorm of media. What is this, 22, six years? Yes, yeah, Sadie, I think will be graduating or be a freshman in college. So I don't know if I want a kid in middle school or high school while you're in office because that, I'll tell you something right now. I'm a pretty mild-mannered person. Until you, you say Maynard? Are you a Maynard mild person? Mild-mannered person. Mild-mannered person. Mild-mannered. That's, the part, that's, <laughs> that's part of the political ad. You just yeah. come off really focusing. Come on, guys. But I got to tell you something. Yeah. If you if you attack my family <sighs> like it does. I'm it, coming for you. I will. Um, I told you the story. I have a certain set of skills. I think I've told the story many times probably. But you know on our, on our wedding night, um, we were driving to Gatlinburg. Yeah, and we had changed our, you know, out of the shoes, out of her dress, me out of my tux. We were in sort of nice clothes for that pajamas. Trip. So we were going to a cabin, and I mean, Laura, I mean, she, she, she had, you know, planned all these outfits. I mean, and she was just dressed to the nines. We stopped at this gas station in Gatlinburg to pick up a, a bottle of water, or a couple. I don't. We just didn't have all the stuff we needed. And she goes in, and I sit in the car, uh-huh. and this dude comes out of the gas station. Opens the door for mm-hmm. this gorgeous woman, watches her walk past him, and Johnny, I kid you not, he stood there with the door open to a gas station and stared inside the gas station at her for yeah. about fifteen seconds. Right, and it was about as long as it took me to get my window rolled down. Like this thing came over me. Yeah, this mild mannered. Yeah, not and anymore. I, and I was like. Hey! Like, I screamed. Hey! And he turned and looked at me. I go, that's my wife! Like, I screamed at the dude. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't mean to do it. Yeah. And I must have looked like an absolute raving mad lunatic. But you stayed in the safety of the car. I stayed in the car with the window down. <laughs> and he shut that door and ran to his car pretty fast. Like, yeah. It was one of the only times I think I've truly intimidated somebody. Right. But there was like this, nah. That guy's a senator not, now, by the way. He ran not, for yeah, office. He, he, yeah. He's uh, in a lot of trouble. That guy's name? Marilyn Manson. <laughs> <laughs> it's always Marilyn Manson. I hate when Marilyn Manson ogles my wife. Oh, my goodness. It's the worst. Just don't. Hey. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, but you, listen, something came over you. I get it. And she was just then your wife. That was a brand new feeling yeah. of like, whoa, like, hey, now. Uh-uh. No, this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
And then I remember the next morning when we went to eat pancakes in Gatlinburg. I remember uh-huh. that was a really cool, like... Somebody held the door and ogled you, and she was like... Hey. Hey. He's not very attractive. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> you can do better. <laughs> I remember that great feeling, though, of sitting at my first meal with my wife. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we got a table for Mr. and Mrs. Driver? Like that kind of, you know, I don't know if they said that, that at the, at the, at the pancake house. place. It's a really ups, upscale <laughs> pancake place. John Adams. <laughs> <laughs> right this way. <laughs> Would you uh, like a spot of tea with uh, your pancake? Uh, anybody, anybody celebrating anything? <laughs> I hate when they, anybody celebrating? You're like, oh, no, please Dude, don't, don't make need, a big fuss. I don't need a reason to celebrate pancakes, bro. I, that is the celebration. It is, man. And I went to IHOP with you because that's our more if, – if we record on the day of, which we've been doing a lot lately uh-huh. because of our lives, um, like I'm not eating the pancakes, and I think that I should get some credit for that. So You I've, did good today. I've been on about a six-week path of eating pretty well, except 4th of July. It's a non-pancake path. I did not so good, but other than that – What did you eat on the 4th of July? I mean, Laura just lays out, and the neighbors came over and brought like a smoked uh, – he brought a whole like smoked pork butt that was unbelievable – and then people people just bring food, man. People bring food. Stewart's brought food for the kids and for and it's, it's too much. And you, the thing is, I go inside like oh, I'm going to go in and, and when and, you're waiting for it to get dark, so it's like you eat and then it's still not time for the fireworks. You're like, we better oh, eat, we'll again. eat again. Yeah, I just I go this, and I, every this, time it won't seem to get dark. Well, we started the party at four. <sighs> yeah, it's not going to get dark till eight thirty. The whole and yeah. I think I stayed pretty keto, but the mm-hmm. amount. You know right. what I'm saying? It was a lot. It's too much. So, yeah. But I'm in the only case. You're doing part. great, John. You look fantastic. No, I don't think I look that fantastic. It's amazing what uh, a little uh, pneumonia will do. So Maybe that's it. <laughs> Maybe it's we the key are. to the whole weight loss. So you think that – see, that was a hypochondriatic cough because I said pneumonia and then I coughed and I haven't coughed the whole time. See, I have to recognize this and what's going on inside of my physiological self. Like yeah. my mind did that. That was a mind cough. Dude, that's the next book, Mind Cough. It sounds too much like Mind Cough. <laughs> I don't love it. I don't love it. <laughs> is it a prequel? What is going on with <laughs> A lot of people think that Hitler's early ideas were almost like a spasm in his brain, like a mind, mind cough. cough. <laughs> it's a manifesto about I don't know, Johnny. This wow. That Sometimes you got to clear the mind, though. You got to <laughs> clear the throttle. Whatever you, you did. Got me wheezing now. <laughs> mind cough. As soon as I said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Oh my goodness, listener! Hey, thank you so much for the time you spend with us every week. Uh, there's so many things you could catch up on if you enjoyed this conversation. And, and Johnny, tell them where they could go do that. Talk about that podcast dot com. All those archived episodes are there for you. Over two hundred of those bad boys. Maybe you're on that last second trip before school starts. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Hey, it's a great spot for you to listen to all those episodes. Recommend those to a friend. Leave a review. It helps the algorithm find us. The algorithm is an unforgiving, soulless mass, and we need to bend it to our will. And you can help us do that by leaving us a five-star review, if you're so inclined. Yeah. And uh, write a review. Write a written review. That's even more fun. Yeah. And that we read those. We love those. We love getting notes for our list, from our listeners. And uh, yeah. we read them, and we tear up, and uh, especially if they're negative. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah, because it confirms our worst fears that we shouldn't be doing this. I'm usually this. chopping onions when I read them. Yeah. So it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell but, which is which. Yeah. John makes a, a delicious chili. Oh, my goodness. That uh, 
delight you and your family. Yeah. Uh, you can also, you know, you know, we have show notes uh, from in our podcast. So yeah. especially your Apple listener there, you can go in our show notes and find links to our link trees. So that's uh, link trees. That's a way to Johnny w. connect with us on socials, mm-hmm. which is a big, uh, big thing. I've got shows coming up. You can find all my tour dates there on my link tree. You can find out about John's books, past, present, and future. Mm. I don't know how you'd find, I don't know future. You find the future. Future really books. promoting those right now. Uh, I can write the books I wish I could write. How about if you'd that? like for John to write a book for you, hey. you can connect with him there. His yeah. emails may be in there. That's, I don't know. Yeah, that could. John's not cheap. Well, I don't know. I mean. I mean, I, he's affordable, I guess, if you're. <laughs> It's, well, you don't want to. I'm not saying you don't want to bill yourself as like the value writer, right? Like, hey, guys, the uh, great value brand. You, the books you like, I can do it for half price. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you got to. Uh, I don't know. So. Yeah, but he's affordable and he's reasonable, <laughs> and uh, he's he, not very good at writing. No, <laughs> but he's affordable. No, it's affordable. but you can find more about John at his link tree. That's linked in our show notes. And do that, and uh, we're so glad to have you aboard. Yeah, yeah, it means a lot that you. Uh, Listen every week, and uh, hey, do reach out and let us know. You know, we've been we did not video the last two. We're kind of experimenting a little bit, and so you know, if if you're like, hey, I miss those clips or something, I mean, we might need some clips in other ways. We but, will figure it out. But if someone's like, I got to see, we, we may even go. I to miss a different... your faces. Maybe people are like, no, we're good. Yeah, no, your faces. Maybe people were suspicious. Like, what is going on? Are they having plastic surgeries? Um, this is like a downtime. Like we could. Afford... I'm in a full face wrap, like a face bandage. Yeah, like we could afford plastic surgery. I've got a bad septum. You um, know that septum. Darn near killed him. It is. It's deviated. It's all the way. De- I have a crooked nose. You, it's very. You have crooked. a deviated septum right now. Yeah, I've got. I've got problems in my septum. Well, you need to go get it fixed. Oh, no. that's a major. Remember our buddy Roy had that, and it's like a, your eyes are blackened and yeah, and then not it, like the good blackened like with fish or chicken, but like no, it's like, like a, someone's punched you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't like it. But maybe I would sing better. Maybe the. Sinuses wouldn't be as bad? I don't know. Johnny, you know you couldn't sing any better, bro. Uh, you know what? You're right. You're, I take it you, back. You are already top shelf. Thank that you. could have been an insult. Like, uh, yeah, we were, yeah, there was, Johnny, you know you couldn't do any better. Right. But it actually was like, because you're already at the top. At the top. Yeah. How do you get higher than what I am? Yeah. You yeah. can't, even can't. with a bad septum. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Well, guys, thanks for the time you spent with us, and we'll see you next week on. Talk about that. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful devotional and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.